Holy Spirit. Today I'm preaching from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. There's a lot of lessons in here. Starting with verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into, into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that crowd, that the, the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. After Christ's transfiguration, Jesus, James, John, and Peter came back down into the valley the valley of human suffering and sin, the valley of egos clashing, the valley where real evil awaited them. Two groups were arguing, the teachers of the law and people in the crowd, especially Jesus' followers. It doesn't say what they were arguing about. And when Jesus asked what they're arguing about, he never really gets an answer. Before the answer could come, a desperate father with a demon-possessed son began to describe what he and his son have been up against. His son, because of this demonic power, cannot speak. He is repeatedly thrown to the ground in convulsions, foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples, the father said, to drive out this spirit, but they could not. Now, two things need to be pointed out here. The first is this. We are in a war with evil, real evil. An evil that Paul says blinds the world to its own lostness. An evil that deceives and makes bad look good and good look boring. If you don't believe me, watch a beer commercial. An evil that destroys lives and families. We do not just wrestle against flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities in high places and also in low valleys with little boys. Evil which stirs up the sin and evil in us and makes humanity do monstrous things. You see, the devil doesn't directly destroy us. He gets us to destroy ourselves. The second thing that we see 
is what religious people do when they cannot defeat evil. When we are impotent in the face of it. If you can't defeat evil, if we can't defeat evil, often we fight with each other. We debate. We split theological hairs. We decide whether we're pre-mill or post-mill or ah-mill or no-mill. We debate over how many angels can fit on the head of a pen. We argue over tongues. We major on minors. When the church lacks spiritual power, we ignore the real task at hand and start nitpicking. Because if you can't get, if you can't defeat evil, then go after each other. Boy, there's a sermon there somewhere. I see this in sports all the time. Teams with losing records usually turn on themselves. Have you noticed? They blame the general manager. They fire the coach. Player teammates go after other teammates. Because if you can't beat up the other team, beat up your own team. All of this arguing and nitpicking disgusted Jesus. You unbelieving generation, he said, how long? How long must I put up with this stuff? How long do I have to keep putting up with your inability to get what I'm teaching? How long are you going to stay stupid? Bring the boy to me. You can sense that Jesus has had it. No more lollygagging. No more messing around with evil. No more theological hair splitting in the face of massive human suffering. No more debating over minor issues when the world is going to hell. Bring him to me. The father pleads more at this point. This thing from childhood has thrown my son into water and fire trying to kill him. But if you can, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, everything is possible to the one who believes. And then the father says something that should comfort every one of us. The father of this demon-possessed boy says something every one of us should identify with this morning. He says this, Lord, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. If you want a model for how to pray, you've just heard it. It is a man in desperate need being perfectly honest with Jesus. He says, in essence, Jesus, I believe. I believe enough to have come here. I believe enough to have traveled some distance to seek your help. I believe you are merciful. I'm here with my son. You're my only hope. But I've lived with my son's pain and bondage for years. I've prayed a thousand times for God to heal him and nothing has happened. I've seen my son's condition last so long and so many people take a shot at remedying it that I'm, I'm kind of discouraged that in, anyone or anything can fix it. I'm a mixed bag, Jesus. I have faith and doubt. I carry within my heart hope and despair. I believe, Jesus. Help my unbelief. This is honestly where I'm at, says the Father. And I got news. This is where I'm at, and this is where you're at. And this, for people with mixed bags like us, this is how you pray. You start with where you're at. You give all you are, good and bad, faith and doubt. You pray your heart and all that's in it. You just 
How do you pray? Just get honest with Jesus. And sometimes the most honest thing you can say is, I don't like praying. And what did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, you know, when you get your act together, come back and see me and we'll see what happens? Or, you know, get rid of all that doubt and maybe I'll help your kid later down the road? What did Jesus do? He delivered the boy. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never, ever enter him again. Aren't you glad Jesus can handle anything we have and everything we have, both outside and inside? And the spirit convulsed and came out. And after the boy was resuscitated, at first they said he looked like a corpse, but after Jesus resuscitated him, For the first time in many, many years, that boy walked away whole and he walked away free and the father walked away rejoicing and the teachers of the law just walked away. But Jesus' disciples are troubled and rightfully so. Why couldn't we drive it out? Why were we powerless in the face of this thing, they say? Why was this evil stronger than us? And you have to remember, they had cast out other demons. They had already, you know, but they faced something they'd never faced before. And they're puzzled. Why couldn't we cast this one out? Their weakness in the face of desperate need bothered them. And it should have bothered them. It's the question the North American church should be asking itself. It's the question that should trouble us all. Why can't we deliver people? Why are we so powerless in the face of evil? Why do we have such a lack of spiritual power with all that's going on around us? And I'm going to shoot straight with you this morning for the first time ever. The main reason is that the North American church has decided to operate by the flesh instead of operate by the spirit. That's the reason. We have substituted slick music and need-based programming and entertainment and organization. We've substituted those things for the power of the Holy Spirit. For the power of the Holy Spirit, we have have substituted self-help books. we got books on ten ways to have a better marriage, ten ways to be a better parent, ten ways to clip your toenails and nose hair. We have self-help books for everything. And the problem is, is that the Bible is not a self-help book. It is a spirit-empowered book. We talk about God. We teach about God. We have Sunday school lessons about God. But won't try to directly tap into the Spirit's power through prayer. Anything but, but that. We just keep talking and flapping our lips. Frederick Buechner writes this. He says, the modern preacher exchanges the truth that is too good to be true for a truth in some kind of harmony with the world's truth. We secularize and rationalize. We adapt and make relevant. We demythologize and make credible. And after we're done with all that, he says, what remains of the gospel becomes in the modern preacher's hands a fairy tale not unlike the Wizard of Oz. Like a skilled psychologist, the wizard helps them to to an inner adjustment that makes them better equipped to deal with the world as it is. But the Wizard of Oz is unable to open up for them or inside of them a world of transcendence and joy. The wild and joyful promise of the gospel is reduced to promises more easily kept. 
if we do not have the power of the Holy Spirit, we reduce the gospel to promises more easily kept. If we can't transform, we tweak. But God is not in the tweaking business. God is trying to kill us and resurrect new creatures in himself. But that's scary. We try to domesticate God. We shrink him down to our size. And what churches do with the gospel anymore, it's just not long ago one church advertised, give us 30 minutes and we'll give you God. Goodness gracious, what blasphemy. The subtitle, by the way, in the advertisement was for busy people with important things to do on the weekend. We can squeeze in God for you. God will not be treated as if he is something on Craigslist. He will not be, he is not an order you get from Amazon. He is not some commodity the church doles out like a Pez dispenser. All of this is flesh. This is the church operating in the flesh. And even well-intentioned flesh is not enough. Only the Holy Spirit can do what needs to be done. We need to repent of trying to bring in the kingdom in our own strength. Only the Spirit can change human hearts. We are not the change agent. He is. Only the Spirit can, bring, can break the bondage of sin. Only the Spirit can raise the dead walking all around us and make them new creatures in Christ. Only the Spirit can make the blind see. These things require something far beyond our intelligence or our talents or our brains. And what I've just described to you should drive us to our knees. When the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus responded, this kind comes out only by prayer. And in some texts, prayer in fa and fasting. If only the Spirit can do what needs to be done, then conclusion is very simple. Our greatest task is prayer. Our greatest privilege is prayer. Prayer becomes the heart of all we do. Everything important God wants to do is doomed to failure without it. Prayer is where we admit defeat. Prayer is where we proclaim our powerlessness to do what needs to be done. You see, the irony of spiritual power is that we have to give up power in order to gain greater power. We have to give up the power of the flesh in order to gain the power of the Spirit. Because Christianity is not about human beings trying harder. It's not about being smarter than everyone else. It's not about human willpower. Trying hard doesn't work. The disciples tried hard that day. They failed. I know millions of people that, that have given their hearts to Jesus and they keep failing because they're operating by their own willpower. The last thing Jesus told his disciples to do before he left this world was to pray. He said, you go to Jerusalem and you will not leave it until you receive power from on high, until you receive the Holy Spirit. Now, please get this. When it came to information, they didn't need a whole lot more information. They had been taught by Jesus on this earth for three years. And they had watched him be crucified. They had watched him be resurrected. They had just spent 40 days and 40 nights with him where it said the things he revealed to them could not be contained in all the books in the world. And yet Jesus said, even though you know who I am, you know my identity, you know I've been raised from the dead, you don't have what it takes to do what I want you to do. Wait for the Holy Spirit. 
Even though they knew about the kingdom coming and they knew the truth, knowing the truth was not enough, he said, wait until the Spirit comes before you try to do anything. And I'm sure after being watching Jesus rise from the dead and spending 40 days with him, I'm sure they were not afraid of death like they were. They had good motives. They weren't cowards like they were anymore. But Jesus said, your good motives and your courage still aren't enough. You wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Pray in Jerusalem. Receive what you need. You can't do what needs to be done without the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, it was true then. It is just as true now. Alec Rollins was the son of a preacher. And his father accepted a pastorate in the city of Durban, South Carolina. I mean, South Africa. There's a little difference. <laughs> South Carolina's tougher. Anyway, he arrived at the church and discovered, unfortunately, his father did, that the church was a mess. One of the leaders was paying older girls in the Sunday school for sexual favors. The church treasurer no longer attended services. He just would arrive when the services was over, take the money and run, but bills were not being paid and the church was in huge debt. And certain members of the congregation had been feuding and fighting for years. Roland said, my father was a short, five-foot-six-inch Englishman with Winston Churchill's, Churchill's bulldog type of personality. His approach to dealing with the problems was simply to try to preach things straight. He was a self-taught expository preacher. His preacher, preaching was forceful and very direct. He felt confident that in a few months of preaching, things would get straightened out in the congregation. Unfortunately, year after year followed, and nothing changed. The church stayed the same. And he said, not only did my father become extremely disheartened, he ended up in the hospital with bleeding ulcers so severe that doctors actually feared for his life. For more than a month, my father received blood transfusions as the doctors worked to keep him from bleeding out. But the ulcers were a symptom of a deeper issue, he said. My father had reached the end of himself facing an impossible situation. A sense of desperation drove him to his knees. When he was finally released from the hospital and returned home, he and my mom called a family meeting with my brothers and sisters and me to discuss the future. My dad was so disheartened by his church he was pastoring that he and mom informed us they were going to take a month off and seek the Lord in prayer and fasting to try to receive some direction from him. And I'm sure they were hoping the direction was, get the heck out of there. But God wouldn't release them. Three months went by, still nothing changed. Dad preached and prayed and called on the name of the Lord and came home discouraged every night. Each Friday night in that little church, there was a regularly scheduled prayer meeting. Roland said, by this time I was 11. He said, I was bored stiff at these prayer meetings, but I was forced to go. Poor preacher's kids. It was one of those prayer meetings. She, he said, you know, there was always a lady who would pray for a half hour straight. She droned on and on, covering everything she could think of. Every missionary, every family in the church, every scraped knee, every bruised big toe. And by the end of her filibuster, Dad told us, he was saying to himself, this prayer meeting is dead. Let's just gather together and give it a decent burial, and then at least we can go home. Praise the Lord. I've been at prayer meetings like that. 
But as he gathered the 15 or so people around the front of the church to close the prayer meeting, he said, my father felt more discouraged than before. But just before he dismissed everyone, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was clear to him. And he said to this preacher, you've been here for an hour and a half, and you, pastor, have done little except complain to me. Why don't you have these people worship me for a moment? And without any sense of expectation, without any huge rush of faith rising up in him, but just out of sheer obedience, he said, my dad said to the handful of people, all right, before we go home, let's worship the Lord for a moment. And he led out in a hymn. And he said, what happened next is hard to put into words. As the people began to worship God, he said, the presence of the Lord descended on us. He said, I remember the scene well. Some of the people became broken and started to cry. Two or three began to spontaneously confess their sins. Holy cow. A couple who had been feuding for years, they actually confessed to each other, forgave each other, and fell into each other's arms right there in the prayer meeting. A spontaneity and freshness of worship and prayer was instantly evident. People prayed aloud and sang from their hearts with great joy. That little prayer meeting, which was supposed to end at about 8 o'clock, it lasted till midnight. That's a miracle right there. The sense of wonder and awe in the car that night driving home was intense. What was that, they were asking themselves, in the preacher's family? What just happened? For the next day or so, it was the only thing anyone in our family could talk about. Two days later... The next Sunday morning, as our family rounded the corner a block away from the church, and Dad was going to preach there in our old 1949 Ford, the first words out of my father's mouth were, Look, there's a bunch of people in front of the church. There must have been a wreck, a car accident in front of the church. He said, When we caught sight of the church building, we saw more than 200 people standing outside on the sidewalk and spilling into the street. We were all waiting for the church building. All were waiting for the church building to open on that Sunday service. Apparently between the Friday night prayer meeting and Sunday morning, word of God's presence had come among us and uh, uh, word of that God's presence had come among us spread throughout the community. We had been a congregation of 35 people. We instantly multiplied more than fivefold. But as we soon discovered, he said it was much more than about the number of people. Over the next few weeks and then the next few years, that little church was completely transformed. Remarkable spiritual growth took place in that congregation. Hearts were changed. People were reconciled to God. Families stopped bickering and fighting with each other. People talked about what it was a pleasure, how it was a pleasure to come to church. There's a miracle. The spirit of revival touched many, many lives for years following that weekend when God drew near. And after that Friday night prayer meeting, A new and fresh sense of God's presence was felt in every service. That's how you know when a church is alive, is when you feel the presence of the Lord. It was not uncommon, he said, to see people come to Christ every week. Water baptisms became regular occurrences in the life of the church. Sincere and enthusiastic worship filled the people's hearts and voices. He said even there were some miracles, miracles that we did not see coming. He said one woman who had been crippled all her life came in in a wheelchair and she pushed it on the way out. And he said there was one man, 
He had polio. His arm was withered. He always kept it in his pocket. He was, he was, he was embarrassed about it. And he came up for prayer one Sunday morning at that church. He, you know, he had a headache or something, and they were praying for the headache. And the next thing you knew, his hand was out. It was turning pink, and it was undeforming. And it, by the time it was over, he had a perfectly normal hand, and a hundred people saw it. He said, you can imagine the impact on the church for months afterward. There was a divine electricity as if the Lord were right there with us in the room. He said 18 months after that momentous Friday night, the old church building could no longer accommodate all the people. The church moved to a new 700-seat sanctuary called Elam Tabernacle, and it was immediately filled to capacity with people joyfully worshiping the Lord. In 18 months, a church went from 35 people to more than 700 and kept on growing. He said it was an amazing experience when God drew near to one congregation. I have studied revivals. And again, this is, this is kind of typical. Now, each one is unique, but, but look at what happened. The church is dead a pastor comes in or other prayer warriors, people come in and they try to fix it in the flesh and they run into deadness and failure some more. They get discouraged and they start to pray. But even when they pray, their prayers are dead until they turn their prayers, until they quit praying at the Holy Spirit and start praying with the Holy Spirit. And then, then the power of God can break through. And then unexpected things happen. God comes in His time and on His terms. And there is real revival. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to read one more book here. I have over a thousand books. I might have two thousand books. I don't have time to count them, much less read them. <laughs> what I need is not more education. What I need is more of the Spirit's power. That's why. We don't need one more video. We need direct divine revelation from the Lord. We don't need one more committee, even though I am not against organization as, as, as rumored about. We don't need one more guest speaker. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us, to guide us, to empower us. This kind of thing only comes by prayer. It was through prayer that it was revealed to Jesus this kind. Jesus knew what he was dealing with. The disciples didn't. Jesus knew the power needed. The disciples didn't have a clue. So pray. List all the things you want changed and start small. Start with what's in your heart and in your head and then move to your relationships at home and work and then move into your church and then into this city and then into the world. And as you pray, listen as you pray. Let the Holy Spirit prioritize what you pray for. Listen to the burdens in your heart the Spirit is putting. Listen to the nudges in your head the Spirit is giving. Listen to the excitement of joy and potential answered prayer that wells up within you. Ask for discernment and pray for the power of the Spirit to come to us and in us that we might be part of the answer that we're praying for. Pray. Because we are in a war with evil, real evil. Friday night I had a dream. The last time I had a dream like this one was a year ago. Almost a year ago to the day. And a year ago I saw a man in my dream standing at my bedroom door, glowering at me. And although I didn't see his lips move, the message was clear. The message was, I have come to take what is yours. 
And two days later, my wife was lying on the floor, unable to breathe with a massive blood clot in her heart, and she barely survived it. He did try to come to take what was mine. Friday night, I felt Satan's threat again. My home was being invaded. My old home on Mulberry and, and 20th Street was being invaded by three beings. They looked human, but I knew they weren't human. And they were trying to take over the house. And I felt like I was in the fight of my life. It was a threat from Satan. It was a warning from God. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit is moving. And I need to tell you something. That move will not go unopposed. We are in a fight whether we like it or not. This kind is defeated only by prayer and fasting. We will pray and we will fast or we will lose. I am fasting one day a week now. I've done it for two weeks. I'm doing it because the Lord has said to me, if you want to see what I'm trying to give, you got to go, you got to do something you haven't done before. And it was confirmed. Sister I doctor said, the Lord said, you got to do something you haven't done before. Me, I likes my food. I likes my chicken. I likes it. But there are some things you have to change in order to go deeper. And I invite you to join me because we need to have the same power that was needed 2,000 years ago to deliver a little boy who was demon-possessed. We need the same power that raised Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago. We need what only the Spirit can do because the only antidote for death is life, not another lecture. The only cure for blindness is sight, not another self-help book. The only antidote for sin is holiness. The only remedy for hate is love from the throne of God. The only remedy for lostness is a revelation of Jesus Christ. We cannot produce any of these things. There is only one who can. And the good news, he's already here and he's already moving. The only thing that can defeat evil is something stronger than evil. And stronger than us. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. This is what we're called to. There's no more important thing that we can do. Here's what we're going to do today. When I'm finished talking, and I'm going to have a dismissal prayer. And you can go. Because I realize some of you need to go. It's homecoming at Messiah. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have small children that you... You simply have to get them and feed them and put, put them down for an hour. So if you need to go, there is no judgment. There's no condemnation at all if you need to go. But I'm going to invite you to stay and pray. And if you need to, you can start where this man. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Start where you are if that's where you need to start. But for some of us who feel the burden of what you heard today, who sense what the Spirit is up to in this church. I'm going to invite you to gather with two or three or four or five people, not big groups, just two or three, four or five, and pray about what you've heard. I'm not going to tell you how to find each other. Uh, let the Spirit guide you. You go find each other, okay? That, and you stay as long as you want. We are not going, you know, I, when, when we wrap up, the service in a normal way. I feel like we're putting the clock on the Spirit. We're taking the clock off the Spirit. You pray until the Spirit releases you. But if you need to go now, you go now with our blessing. And so, I want you to stand.
and I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for sending us yourself through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're up to. Thank you for being here now. Lord Jesus, revive us, empower us, fill us with your Spirit. Help us to know what we're up against. What it is, Lord, that Satan is doing to us. Set people free like you set that little boy free. Break the chains like you broke the chains 2,000 years ago. And Lord Jesus, call us to prayer. Make us desperate to want what you want. Make us desperate for the kingdom. And teach us to pray in the Spirit. We give this to you, Jesus. We are your people and we praise you. We praise you for what you're doing. We worship you. I can't wait to see what you do. I can't wait, Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father. You're up to something and you're letting us be a part of it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it will not go unopposed. And there is much to be done. And so, Lord, like you did at Durban, break us if we need breaking. Fill us if we need filling. Heal us if we need healing. And Lord, above all, manifest your presence in our hearts and lives and in this church. May, when, may, there, may we just, Jesus is here. May we just know through the Spirit, Jesus is alive and real and here. In the days to come and in our individual lives. Thank you, Jesus, for being here. Thank you, Spirit, for moving. We will see what you will do. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed if you need to go. Now find somebody. If you want to pray, pray for people to pray. Pray for the Spirit. Find somebody and pray with them. Or just sit and pray by yourself if you need to. If you need to go, go. God's blessing.